Um, you know, I did this for me, but I also did it if my situation and what I've been through and the story I told can help someone else, even one person. Yeah. Then, you know, that's that makes it all worth it. I've had other women that tell me about their relationships. And, you know, I have one a friend of mine right now that she's in a verbally abusive relationship and I'm trying to kind of coach her to prepare to leave because she's she's miserable. She's Welcome to the Growth and Thriving Podcast, where we celebrate people's journeys from adversity and trauma into thriving and, uh, and excelling. Uh, I'm Dr. Jerry Sunshine Novak. I'm your host through the podcast. And today we are talking with Wendy Anderson, who is a, a friend of mine and a member of our online Growth and Thriving After Trauma community through Facebook. Um, Wendy offered to come on to the show and share our sto her story uh, with our listeners and with our community and talk about some of the things that she's been through and how they've impacted her and what her journey's like, been like uh, moving from some of those difficult times into um, a life that looks more like growth and thriving for her. Uh, we might also focus in on some tools or experiences that have been helpful. Um, but that said, let's get things underway. So welcome, Wendy. Thanks for being here. Thanks. So been a little while since we've seen each other, since you moved from Colorado to Texas. A little bit. Yeah. Things are going well? Yes, they're going great. It's too hot down here. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that things are going great. Texas has got like a tiny little winter and a lot of hellfire in the summer. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. for this Midwest girl, it is hot. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we why don't we jump in and you can sort of just tell your story, um, talk about, you know, start wherever you like and um, talk about some of your life experiences and what you've been through, the things you feel like have shaped you, good, bad, or indifferent. Okay. And we'll just kind of, kind of riff from there. Okay. Um, well, I can't say I had any kind of like weird childhood growing up. Parents are still married. One older sister. Nothing special in my childhood. But as I got older, uh, I was 23 years old and I got married for the first time. Look back on it now. Not the best of choices, but the guy was very charming and sweet and caring and all that kind of stuff that you know when you're 23 and naive that you fall for as a woman and got pregnant got married and you know I heard the I'm doing this because I love you I know better because I love you you have to listen to me you know would not want me to go to my parents house because he didn't know what my parents were going to say about him and 
um, I was super close with my dad's parents, my grandparents. And every summer I would go down and spend time with them for a couple weeks. Or as I got older, like a couple extended weekends through. And uh, every single time I would go to their house, we'd have a fight. Because he said my family was going to brainwash me into divorcing him. Started to tell me how I need to lose weight. Are you sure you want to eat that? You shouldn't eat that. You can't eat that. And then I got to the point where he actually started taking away my plate when he thought I was eating too much. Started telling me how to dress, who to talk to. Didn't want me visiting my family. Didn't want me going out with girlfriends. And I think I was married for about nine and a half years to him and about year four or five. I finally started seeing the signs of the controlling narcissistic behavior in him and but I was bound and set I was married I was going to make it work I wasn't going to do divorce and it got to the point where he would force me to work out not that working out's a bad thing but he was having me do things that I didn't want to do you know like I wanted to just go you know, quick little run in the mornings. And it was like, no, you have to go this amount of time. And if I walked rather than ran, it was, I'd get chastised for it. And, you know, it was like, he turned it into something that wasn't fun for me. And I got to the point when he got mad at me one day and punched a hole in the wall next to my head is what really set it off for me that there's, there's no way in hell I can deal with this for the rest of my life. I can't, I can't do it. And then Hindsight, now that I'm out of the marriage, I see all those signs of the controlling and the verbal abuse that I used to make excuses for to my family when they would tell me, he's not right. He, he's abusing you. No, he's not. He's my husband. He wouldn't do that to me. And they were trying to brainwash you? Huh? And they were trying to brainwash you? Yeah. You know, that's what he thought. And I didn't see it. And I, you know... No, you guys just don't understand him. You don't spend the time with him like I do. And I was 112 pounds when I left my ex-husband. And he still thought I was too fat at that weight. And my family was telling me, you're too thin. You need to gain weight. Like, you you need to put on some pounds, Wendy. That's not right. And now looking back at that, you know, even my second ex-husband, I didn't see it till you know, probably recently I look back and he wasn't nearly, nearly as narcissistic and controlling. He really wasn't controlling, but he was verbally abusive in ways that I don't think he even realized. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it has had a huge impact on my self-esteem, my own body image of myself, you know, um, the man I'm with now, he is amazing and telling me that, no, you're beautiful who you are. You know, you're a wonderful woman. You're gorgeous. And I'm like, but even, you know, I've, I've gained a little bit of weight. And no, I love that. You're gorgeous. You're you. You're a woman. You've had a baby. You know, when my first ex-husband and I, we had, when I got pregnant, I ended up having a stillborn. Mm -hmm. um, and he was, he wasn't supportive of it. Like he didn't understand why I would cry every day and why when his birthday came around, it was so hard for me. Well, he's gone. You should just get over it. You don't get over losing a child to this day. I mean, my son would be turning 18 this year. And I realized that 
a couple of weeks ago and it hit me hard. Like I had a couple of days where I just wanted to cry because it, I'd have an 18 year old boy, you know, it, it, he wasn't supportive of it. And he never, he said I was too emotional and I needed to just suck it up. And even my second ex-husband was the same way. Mm. He didn't understand the impact of it. And it's taken me, you know, I've been divorced from my first ex-husband since 2013. And I've been to a couple different therapists. I've talked about my feelings, you know, and it's, it's still to this day, there's certain things that come to me that still are hard to accept, you know, like being told you have a gorgeous body. You're 41 years old. You're not going to have a 20 year old body anymore. It's still in my mind. I still see you're fat. I still hear that in my head, but it's, it's an ongoing process of telling myself it's not true. You actually have someone that loves you for you, you know, that's in the past. And, you know, one thing I learned in therapy was men that are, um, and women, I have a sister who's a narcissist too, but they break people down to make themselves feel better because they have their own self issues and to make themselves feel better, they want to break you down. You know, that's, that's the way I was told. And, you know, my therapist that I had told me one time, you know, that guy, wanted to break me down because he knew I was such a strong woman that it was like a badge of honor for him mm-hmm. to tear me down and make himself feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they talk about, you know, when you talk about people who have narcissistic tendencies, there's almost always, you know, from a certain perspective, they talk about the narcissistic injury and, and basically it means people who act that way you know, are compensating for the fact that they don't feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it can be very intimidating to be with somebody who, not even somebody who thinks they're amazing, just somebody who has like an average self-esteem can seem really intimidating to them. And so, yeah, they, they compensate by, you know, instead of, instead of learning to elevate themselves and meet you, meet you where you are, they bring you down to meet them where they are. Yeah. And and unfortunately, I think because like my, I have this older sister, she's 15 months older than me. Mm -hmm. And she's always been the, I know more than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm older than you. And then I got, you know, to the, she, she recently, she uh, didn't like some stuff I was posting on Facebook. And she told me I needed to remove it. And I needed to stop doing this. And you know, told me that I needed to change my life. And, you know, before I get into a relationship, I need to be celibate for two years. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm in my forties. That is not going to happen. Second of all, I'm in my forties. You're not going to tell me how to live my life. Well, because I wouldn't change how I wanted to live. And I wasn't deleting stuff off of Facebook just because she didn't like it. She has decided that I'm a horrible person and I'm, she's no longer going to talk to me because I'm not doing what she wants me to do. Right. And, you know, she's, she's very much, I know she has her own self-esteem issues. um, And I think she's had it since she was a young girl, but she's never, what's funny is she has a psychology degree herself and she can't see it in herself. Yeah. Well, you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of us who are attracted to that field are trying to figure ourselves out. And then what happens is it becomes really, um, like tempting it becomes very we get very enamored with like 
well, we can tell other people how they are and then avoid dealing with our own things. But um, there's not much growth to be had if you pursue it that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's my, my road. I mean, I, I still have my, my triggers, um, but I try to be very cognizant of it and not, you know, I'm, I still to this day breaking down walls and, you know, thankfully the man I'm with is extremely patient and understanding of that. I mean, he himself has been through some of his own childhood traumas. So he understands those walls being up with certain things. And, you know, it's, it's an ongoing um, growth, I guess you could say on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I'm actually glad you said that because one of the things I, I hope to highlight quite a bit on the podcast here and, and through the um, blog and, and other sort of, um, you know, the, the Facebook pages is that I, I think we're led to believe that, you know, there's these very clean sort of um, barriers or transitions, right? So like leading up to a traumatic event, you are asymptomatic, right? You're healthy, you're fine. And then there's this traumatic event. And if you have reactions to that trauma over a period of time, then you have PTSD or something like that, right? Um, or an adjustment disorder or, or whatever, whatever label they, they choose, right? And then if you maybe get some treatment or do some, some sorts of therapeutic kinds of things and you start to get better, then you're good again, right? And I'm not sure that that the distinctions are that clean. I think, you know, we're changed. We're all changed by the things we experience. Uh -huh. whether those, I agree. Yeah, whether those experiences are good, bad, or indifferent, they all change us. And uh -huh. so if you experience trauma, that's part of your history forever. And there may always, for the rest of your life, be things that, you know, trigger you or or things that remind you, or an occasional nightmare, or whatever that sort of thing is, the real key to something like post-traumatic growth, I think, for most people, is A, that those experiences get fewer and further between, right? You can go months and months and months without being triggered, or, or very, yes. you know, you can go several years without having a nightmare, or whatever the case may be. So those experiences get fewer and far between, but I think the real key, like the real money is what do the periods of time in between those triggers look like, right? If those periods of time are full with meaningful relationships, meaningful work or volunteer time or, um, you know, a fellow, you're a fellow biker, just like I am out, out, on, out on the bike riding, right? Like if you're filling your life with things that feel meaningful and important and and um and fulfilling right that's really what thriving looks like thriving isn't the idea that you'll never have another bad day right especially yeah. on something like you know like your son's birthday so um so yeah i think i think what you're saying fits more with the reality of what this looks like than maybe what what a lot of us learned in school or think it ought to look like. I agree. And I know for me, it's, I, 
you know, I, I have to look back at it and go, okay, I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't been through it. Do I wish I didn't have to go through what I've been through? Of course, you know, it sucks. But at the same time, you know, I've learned a lot about myself and who I am. And I just, I know that it, it's an everyday thing. And we all, every single person goes through something, whether it be really traumatic or just minor and you don't really think about it, you know, but it's how you handle it. Right. And I, and don't get me wrong. I had my years where I was angry at the world because I lost my son. Yeah. So angry. Yeah. You know, and I, I didn't want to hear the religious crap of, you know, God wanted him for whatever reason that it didn't fly with me. It, and right. to this day, I still, because, you know, they still couldn't give me a reason why I lost my son. So I think that's part of the hardest part for me. Like a medical reason you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like they, cause we had an autopsy done, but they couldn't tell us a reason why it was mm -hmm. just like, we don't know. Yeah. Some born still. Yeah. I mean, they're just, it, it happens a lot more frequently than what you'd think. Right. And there's, you know, I I've told other women where they've said something and they're like, God, I thought I was the only one. No, you're not, you know, it's not, it's actually not that uncommon you're not alone. You know, I've got an aunt who had three miscarriages. It's, but it's a daily process of trying to cut, being very conscious of my own thinking and trying to think positively. And, you know, when I do have those moments where I'm like, I need to break down and cry, I will let myself do that because I let myself feel those emotions and get it out. And then I feel better. Right. Well, good. At least for me. So, so what do you think? I mean, you said that you went through a period of time where you were angry at the world mm -hmm. and then you talked about how you handle it now, which sounds much more adaptive, right? Sort of mm -hmm. let it be and get it out and move past it. Do you have some sense? I'm wondering if you could share with us um, of, of what caused that transition, right? I mean, it may not have been a, like a one singular event or anything, but, but what brought you from there to here? Um, I think time mm -hmm. is a big part of it. Like, the, you know, the first probably five years, every birthday, like, you know, it was just, I was angry because I'd see other women having their babies and it's like, well, why does that POS get her baby? And I don't, you know, she can't even afford to have her kids, Right. you know, it, I think part of it is just where the old saying time heals all wounds, right? It, you may always have that wound there, but it, a lot of it, I think, is just time and growing up, too. I mean, it's been 18 years, so, sure. you know, over time, I've kind of been like, I can't be angry anymore. There's nothing I can do about it. It's not going to bring them back. Yeah, and it's not, the anger is not helping anything, right? But mm -hmm. but I think you hit on something there is, you know, you were looking at these other, other women, and it's like, I think if you want to stay angry, compare. Yeah. Compare to other people's, you know. Look at what other people do or don't have, and you will mm -hmm. always feel like you're missing out. Yeah, because there's always something that someone has that you want right. that you may never be able to afford, <laughs> or you know, for me, never have. I'll never have biological children. Right. Does it suck? Yeah, but I'm also at an age now that I'm like, I'm glad I don't have kids because right. I want to hop on that scoot and go for a yeah. ride. I hop on that scoot and I go for a ride. I don't have right. to worry about who's watching the kid at home. Titan goes in his crate. Mama goes for a ride. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I can, as, as somebody who I, I love being a dad, it's like my favorite thing in the world, but I mm-hmm. spend a lot more time in the cage than I do on the scoop. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I still do here because sometimes it's just too damn hot. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. You'll, you'll get like 12 days of cool weather in like oh, that's, November. That's comforting. December. Thanks. <laughs> Use them wisely. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, so you, you talked about, you said your your second husband um, also couldn't, like neither one of the men you were married to could understand what you were going through with relation to this experience you had with your son. And <clears throat> the thought I had at that moment, um, and I didn't want to interrupt because you were on a roll, but the thought I had is like, I don't know if understanding is even the issue, right? Because it's like, okay, they can't understand. They don't know what it's like to be pregnant. They never will, right? Mm-hmm. And if they've never experienced it, and I know that, that maybe they have, but if they've never experienced the kind of loss of someone that's as close to you that that like was literally growing inside you, right? And they can't. You know, and not that they haven't experienced loss, but if they can't or won't, for some reason, understand that, right? Um, you, you can be supportive and, uh-huh. and you can be um, a partner, right? Without necessarily knowing what something feels like, right? I mean, th- that's to me, you know, when you talk about these relationships, what I hear is the failing in it is that, you know, um, okay, maybe they don't understand exactly what it's like to have a, a stillborn child, but there, w- there didn't seem to be an effort to at least want to understand what it meant to you. Yeah. And in, in that aspect, yes. Cause even like my second husband, he, um, you know, on the, those days or those moments where I was having that, you know, those times, if he had just come over and given me a hug, right. maybe I can't understand, but, I care. but you know, I'm here, yeah. you know, let me just hug you. Let, you know, let me just sit there and cry on your, you know, your chest for 20 minutes while I get it all out. Right. But neither one of them ever did that. It was, well, it's been years, suck it up, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and I'd have, my female friends, obviously, you know, I've got some really good friends that are, I text them and they'd be like, I got you. I understand. You know, I wish I could do something for you, yeah, yeah. you know, and I, I've even, I've talked to the gentleman that I'm with now, you know, telling him that I haven't been to my son's grave in God years. You need to do that, babe. You need to go back to Wisconsin. You need to go see your son. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, he's like, just for your own sake, one day you need to go back and just, just to do it. And I agree with him. I do. I need to go back just because, but it would, you know, that's supportive to me. Right. That's saying, I can't understand it. You know, and he's a father, he has a daughter himself, mm-hmm. you know, so he understands the child, you know, having that being a parent kind of aspect, but you know, he doesn't understand losing a child, but he understands that that could be painful for me. Mm-hmm. And he's very, he's understanding of, I can't, I can't be there, but let me do what I can to support you. 
and this is how I support you. And just, just being there, just under, you know, understanding that it's a rough thing to go through and that I'm going to have my moments. That goes a long way. It does. It does. It also sounds like you you managed, you know, and and you didn't quite say it this way, but when you're, when you're, you know, you're, two ex-husbands were not meeting your needs. It sounds like you figured out how to get those needs met, at least to some degree elsewhere, right? You had had your friend network that you went through. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, um, like I said, my grandmother was a huge support growing. I mean, she was just, I, I was, she's like a mom to me. Um, so she was just growing up. She was just, you know, she was a wonderful grandmother mm-hmm. and I spent so much, I spent every single summer with them until after I graduated high school. So huge impact on my life. Well, when I was going through all this, you know, my grandma now, even to this day, I call her once a week and it's still, she's still supportive. She's still, she might not remember everything cause she's got dementia. Sure but she still is supportive of, you know, whatever I'm doing, you know, she's always told me, I love you no matter what. I might not agree with your choices, but you're my granddaughter. And I know you're doing what you think is right for yourself at the time. You know, she's never, she's never put me down. She's never chastised me. She's never been that way. She's always just been real supportive. And then, you know, I've got some girlfriends that I've known. um, One I've known since high school. And I, to this day, I can call her up. You know, when my second ex-husband came home and said he wanted a divorce and completely shocked me with it, I called her up. I was like, I need you. I need you here now. She was in Wisconsin. I was in Colorado. And she's like, can you get on a plane tomorrow? Yeah, I got you. Mm -hmm. She used her mileage points, $11 plane ticket to get me to Wisconsin because she knew I needed that support at that point in time that I... I didn't know what to do. Right. I was completely lost. So, I mean, I've had some really good support system with my friends that are closer to me as friends than my own family are. They're, you know, she's my family. She's my sister. Mm-hmm. Not by blood, but I would do anything for that woman because she's always been there to understand. I mean, and she's been through stuff herself. She can't have kids. You know, she's got a husband who is bipolar. So she goes through a lot of stuff with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've always told her, if you need me, call me, yeah. you know, we, we would do anything for each other. So it's, I've always, you know, fortunately I've had that. I just mm-hmm. haven't had it from my significant others who are the, you know, the people you most want it from that person that you should be your go-to. So, so that I was, it's funny that you say that. Cause I was just thinking that <clears throat> as you were talking and I had this question that m- my guess is probably, I don't know if you've thought about this or not and so you might not know right offhand how to answer but you know maybe we can play with it a little bit okay um so it sounds like you've managed to choose okay so family you're born into right i mean blood family right you're born into. yeah um <clears throat> grandma was great sister not so great right like you you get you sort of get what you get right yeah with regard to your friendships, it sounds like you've made really good choices in choosing <laughs> friends who, you know, ride or die kind of friends, right? Yes. Friends who, 
your needs matter to them and they are willing to do what it takes to inconvenience themselves to whatever to show you that you matter and that you're important. Yes. And so from that regard, you had really good decision making, right? Like who, who you chose to keep and who you didn't. You know, I never, I never thought of it that way. Right. But then you chose two partners and, and it sounds like now things are different, but you chose two spouses who both had these sort of narcissistic traits and were very invested, it sounds like, in keeping you down. And so I wonder what the difference is in how you chose friends versus how you chose spouses. You know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know, to, to be honest. I mean, I've got, you know, the girl, the, the ladies that I'm friends with, and I've got, you know, a guy friend too that I've known him since I was 17 years old and he's mm -hmm. super supportive. I really don't know what it is that between choosing my, you know, friends and then choosing the person that I'm going to be a partner with. I don't know. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Right. I can't answer for you. Um, you know, and I don't want to speculate, but I imagine like, we have ideas in our mind about like what the different roles mean, mm -hmm. you know, and what we think might be important in each of those roles. And so it's, it's interesting, you know, cause I wonder, um, I wonder how many other people, I mean, I know that there's um, a large population of people who have been involved in in uh, relationships that involve narcissistic abuse, right? Because because narcissistic people can be very charming, and they can they really yes. know how to like how to turn it on, right? So mm -hmm. so I know there's a huge population. My sister actually runs a group on Facebook for survivors of narcissistic abuse for people who have okay. relationships, and she's got like forty five hundred people in that group and new people joining every day. You know, Dang. Yeah. and so, so there's no shortage, right? There's no shortage of people who find themselves in this scenario. And I can't help but wonder now after talking to you, how many of those 4,500 people also have friends who are incredible, right? Like, I wonder how many of yeah. them chose, you know, a partner who ended up being sort of abusive and, and mistreated them but have a network of friends who are solid. That's interesting. I, you know, I never ever thought of it that way <clears throat> mm -hmm. because I do, I have some really supportive friends that are like, he never deserved you. You know, mm -hmm. I've seen it a long time ago. And, you know, I think we think differently when it comes to a spouse mm -hmm. or partner and how, they're, they're going to react and, and support. Right. And, you know, our, your, your spouse you're with all the time, your friends, it's like, okay, hey, I saw you go, go home now, you know, or, hey, I'm going to well, go home, you go home. Yeah. You're not around them all the time. Definitely less proximity. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a difference in how you deal with each other right. on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I'm sure my best friend, Nikki, if I had to live with her, 
we might have a few fights. I don't think we've ever had a fight, right. but I think we might because we live differently. And I know we live differently, yeah. but we also understand that we think differently and we accept that in each other. We just, we don't care. We're like, okay, whatever. I know you give me the last penny you had if you needed to, right. you know, but with a, a spouse or a partner, it's for some reason it, it's a little different in how you think, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you why I chose. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, I think you're right. Like the more time you spend with someone, the more likely you are to end up in an argument or to have a fight with them of some sort. I guess the real question though, right, is what happens maybe during and after the argument, right? Or mm -hmm. are you, you know, either friends or partners with somebody who can fight fair, meaning that they, you know, will argue their side of a, of a disagreement, but not necessarily attack your character or, yeah. or become, you know, or threaten or become abusive in any kind of way. And then what happens afterward? How do we, how do we, um, you know, end the fight and demonstrate that even if we disagree, that you're still somebody who matters, right? And is important to them. And again, like I'm, I'm thinking in my, myself, you know, which people in my life I think could do that, right? I could do that with versus people maybe who couldn't or wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I think it also has to do with the people themselves. So like my sister is one of those ones where she's got to have the last word. Mm -hmm. If we're in an argument, she's always got to have the last word or not. You know, I'll be like, just, just drop it. Let's just stop the conversation. We're not going to agree on it. So let's just drop it. Right. Well, but and it's like, no, no, but just shut up. Just right. stop the conversation. And she can't, you know, some of my girlfriends where it's like, okay, I know we're going to disagree. So we'll, we'll give each other our points. And it's like, okay, we're done. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it it's just, um, you know, even with my romantic relationship that I have now, we have some disagreements and it'll be okay. You know, there's been a few times where we've been cause he works third shift mm -hmm. and I work first shift. So there's times where it's like, okay, we just have to stop this conversation and let's get back to it tomorrow when we can be face to face because it's over the phone crap isn't working. Right. right. You know, it's just, it, it's hard enough being on different shifts as it is because mm -hmm. five out of the seven nights a week you miss each other at home. Yeah. So it's a lot harder to keep that connection and stay connected to each other. So there's times where we have to literally be like, we just need to come back to this. We'll discuss it later. I don't want to have, you know, I don't want to have an argument with you. Let's just drop it. And, you mm -hmm. know, we do and we move on. Yeah. You know, and then we'll come back to it and discuss it later and we're both calmer. And yeah. So the willingness to do that, right, is important on both sides. It is immensely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess, like, I'm wondering, like, I'm thinking about being, you know, you know, 22, 24. So that's like a quarter of a century ago for me, right? <laughs> and, um, and like, would I have known then? And I, I, there's, the answer is absolutely no. There's no way I would have known that that's an important quality to look for, right? <clears throat> Can this yeah. person... Like, like disagree with me, but A, not take it so personally that it's got to be, you know, 
fire and brimstone kind of fight. Mm-hmm. And B, is this person willing to like, is their intent, is their goal in a disagreement to land on common ground together with me? Or is their goal to win? Yeah. And that's, you know, like my, I, that just brought up a thought in my head with my ex-husband, my first ex-husband, you know, he would, when we would have a fight, it was, I was wrong. He was right. And I just mm-hmm. needed to shut up. Right. My, my opinion didn't matter, you know, and part of it's probably age. You know, I'm a little older yeah. now or now I'd be like, okay, well, if you don't care about my opinion, then there's the door. Yeah. yeah. You know, back when I was in my early twenties, that's not how I thought. And then I didn't understand too, that sometimes I just got to let some things go. You got to pick your battles. Can't die on every hill. Yeah. You know, and I'm my, like I said, my sister's one of those people that has to win. She's always got to have the last word where with her, my stance with her now is just like, okay, whatever you win. Bye. Yeah. I'm done talking about it because it's, it's not who I am. And I've done a lot of personal self growth where I've tried to look at myself and how I deal with relationships and you know, my friendships and everything in my life yeah. to grow and go, you know what, sometimes it's just not worth the fight. Yeah. I, it's so hard to find the right way or an effective way to, um, especially with people who are in your life, right? Especially with family members or, or other people who are, you know, some people you can just be like, okay, I don't need you in my life anymore and out. Mm-hmm. But other people who you're going to see time and time again, um, it's so hard to find a way that keeps your boundaries intact mm-hmm. and demonstrates like some some self-importance, right? Some self-compassion. Like, I need to take care of myself. You know, that's what you're doing with your sisters. Like, if I enter into this argument with you, I am not taking good care of myself. Yeah. Because, because I could probably just do both sides of the argument on my own, right? I kind of know how it's going to go. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and so I'm, I'm unwilling to do that, right? I'm not willing to do that. But then there's like, you know, and, and in some cases it might be fine. Like, I don't care if I'm being passive aggressive with you or whatever, but in other cases it's like, well, how do I do that? And I, maybe I don't want to be passive aggressive, or maybe I don't want to just kind of throw my hands up and right. And give up and maybe, and it's really hard, man. I, you know, I, there are people in my life where it's taken me decades to get to the point where, like, I can confidently say a sentence that sounds something like, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to engage in this argument with you this way. However, you know, if at some point you're willing to discuss things this way or that way, maybe we can reapproach it. Or to just say, you know what? I, it's n- not good for me to be in this discussion. Like I'm not gonna mm-hmm. engage in it. And it's, you know, and it's amazing because it's a really simple sentence and on the surface, there's like nothing wrong with that. That seems like it should be fine. But, but people are appalled when you say something like that. They are. Then, and if they're the ones that like to win, they don't like that. Right. And some people just like the drama of it, right? Like, how could you not fight with me? You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I just, I've gotten to a point in my life. I'm just, I'm not going to fight about certain things. You know, I have an aunt that is 
um, she's a wonderful aunt. Mm-hmm. We disagree on yeah. a lot of things, yeah. but we're adults. So we say, oh, okay, we'll disagree. Sure. There sure. it is there. End of conversation. Yeah. You know, she, she, my aunt's marriage is different than what I look at marriage as. Yeah. And we just agree that we just live differently. Like yeah. That's just, you know, that's how we are. And that's fine. Whatever works for you. Yeah. And my uncle, that's fine. You know, that's not how I want to live. That's not what's going to work for me. Yeah. And we can understand that. Now tell that to my sister and she'd be like, no, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. That's why I just, with her, I, I can't, I just don't engage with her anymore because, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've got a niece that's 19 this year. When my sister and I had that fight where she got mad at me, it was, oh, we're now we're going to throw the child in and go, you can't talk to my daughter anymore either. Okay, let me see how that works out for you. I'm not going to talk to my niece, please. Right. Who's an adult? It, exactly. She right. was 18 at the time. It was like, no, she's 18 years old. If she wants to talk to her aunt, she can call her aunt. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to stop me. And we still, to this day, my niece and I still text each other. Right. And, and going back to like when I said about, you know, we brought up like fighting fair, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, or attacking your character or, or any of those sorts of things. Right. Like, I mean what does her daughter have to do with you and her having a disagreement, right? Like, and, and that was my point. And she was like, well, I just don't like your, what did she say? I can't remember exactly, but it basically, she didn't want me to have an influence right. on my niece and how I live and what I say. And I'm like, she's an adult now, Yeah. you know? And it's not like I'm going to bring up the stuff that my sister and I argue with, with my niece. My niece doesn't need to know that. My, right. my conversations with my niece are how's college, who's the current boyfriend, yeah. you know, you're driving, you know, that kind of stuff. Not, I'm not going to bring her into my adult life. That's, that's right. not what it's about. It's here. Right. Let me send you a picture of Titan because she's a dog lover. And it, yep. it literally was like, oh, it's a divorced parents. Let's use the kid in the middle of the divorce. No, you don't do that. That was, She has we, nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's definitely got that flavor, right? It's definitely a, a, a power play, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so that can, that can be super toxic, right? That's so hard to deal with, especially when it's somebody who you probably love and care about, like a sibling, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a it's a very love hate relationship between us. Yeah, it sounds it. it, sounds it. And and I mean, you know, love and hate are close cousins. You know, they have a lot more in common. A lot of people think of them as opposites, but you know, the opposite of both of them is indifference, right? It's like yep. Once you don't care anymore, then there's neither love nor hate. Exactly. Yeah. So so I'm curious about. Um, so you had this. <clears throat> this you know really sort of tragic experience with your your child being stillborn mm-hmm. and then you talked about these two marriages and to me you know i think i think at first blush if you will it sounds like three traumatic events but there sounds like there's a difference to me in the impact they've had on you. Like, mm-hmm. so, so your reactions, for example, to your child 
sound to me, and, and I don't mean to be splitting hairs, but I'm curious in, in how we rebuild our lives after different, after different hardships, right? And so your reactions to your stillborn child sound to me less like trauma and more like grief, right? It's like every year on an anniversary, I get sad, right? If I think about it in a certain way, it, you know, that, oh my God, it's 18 years, I get really sad. But not necessarily like something triggers me and I have this huge setback that I need to rebound from, right? Anniversaries yeah. are hard and, and there's grief and, there, and rightfully so, right? I mean, I, I in my life, um, <clears throat> thankfully, you know, thankfully, both of my children are healthy and, and alive and, and in good, good spirits. And, but I lost my mother when I was seven. And so, uh, you know, she got sick when I was four and died when I was seven. And so now, like 41 years later, there's still grief, right? Yeah. Like, there's still missing her and there's still, and I was, I went like you, I was angry at the world for a long time. I felt like it was super unfair. I saw mm -hmm. these other kids who, you know, I was, I would always be appalled, like absolutely appalled when I saw kids like talking bad to their mom you know fuck you mom or whatever and I'd be like oh my god like do you know how lucky you are to like yeah and you know and it took me a long time to get to a point where it was like no I can't compare with them right the best I can do is is actually be happy for them that they don't have to know that kind of grief right like, yeah don't have to. um but it sounds to me like the marriages and the divorces maybe had more of a trauma impact on you than the death. Although maybe like the death of your child like feels bigger. It just seems to have a different quality. I, I agree with that. I think the initial, <clears throat> the initial that day when I was in the hospital, yeah. that in itself, because I don't remember the whole day. My mom told yeah. me things that I did and said that I'm like, no, I didn't. She's like, yes, you did. Mm. I, I don't remember. I blocked it out, yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's more grief. Like I, to this day still cannot hold an infant. Mm. I can't do it. It's just, it's too hard for me. Yeah. You know, I'll see. And it's, it's harder for little boys right. for me because that's, I, I wanted nothing but a little boy and I got a little boy and then I didn't have a little boy. Yeah. Um, but my marriage is, is more of, you know, especially the way my second marriage ended was they're much more traumatic in the fact of, you know, when I finally realized what my first marriage was all about and the impact it had on me as a person, you know, that's where I started to actually heal from it and work to do things to make myself. Cause I was like, he's not going to have control over me and I'm not even married to the fucker anymore. Right. Yeah. Like I'm going to have control over me. I'm not going to let him, because I remember the last thing I told said to him we were standing at the bank after splitting the funds up and he looked at me and he goes, are you ready for a world you can't handle without me? And I looked at him and I said, I will thrive without you. Good for you. And you know, one of the things he told me that I could never do because I was uncoordinated was ride a motorcycle. <laughs> Look yeah. at me now, yeah. <laughs> you know, it looking past back at it, you know, my, my second ex-husband, he didn't tell me. I didn't have any clue he wanted a divorce. Had, had no idea. Mm -hmm. Came home one day, told me he wanted a divorce. 
I freaked out and went to my girlfriend's and we had a camera in the house. He forgot about it, brought a woman into my home and I caught him. He did the one thing that he knew would hurt me the most and that was cheat on me. And from that point on, you know, to me that that does a thing to a woman where you, you know, you give someone all your trust and your care and you really, you know, you really think that this is your person and then they basically just stomp on it. Yeah. That really, I think that probably, because at least because it's more, much more recent to me, has an impact on how I thought about things. And, you know, again, it's kind of the same thing with my first sex. I'm not going to let that situation control me. So it's a work in progress still, right. yeah. but I'm working to not let my anger and my hurt and my resentment from what he did to me and how he treated me mm-hmm. control how I deal with my future, you yeah. know, and the relationship I'm in now. It's, it yeah. still peaks in there. It's still part of it, but I try very hard to not let it be yeah. that way because- yeah. Can't unring a bell, right? You've been through it, what yeah, you, you know, I mean, it is what it is. And, you know, I had people who knew both of us that said, he's losing the best thing to ever happen to him. Don't let this ruin you. You're a good woman. You were a good wife. You know, and, and I knew him retiring out of the Marine Corps. I knew he was going to have issues. Did I think it was going to go to the extent that it went to? No. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it is what it is now. And, right. you know, he's going to reap what he sows. Yeah. You know, I, so you, I have to move on from that. Right, right. And you, so you said you make efforts to move on. You like you try to not let it. <clears throat> you try not to let it sort of taint your life now and your relationships now. And so I'm wondering if there are specific things you do or practices you have or things that you sort of build into your lifestyle that help you with that like that are purposeful for the intention of separating those past experiences from what's going on now um part of it is just you know putting that trust in the fact that you know the man that i'm with now is not going to do that to me mm-hmm. but it's also i've i've done a lot better in expressing my feelings yeah and when something bothers me you know hey you know, and I've told him, I'm one that I need to have that, those cuddle times, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a cuddler. I got to have that, that touch and that feel, you know, so he's very good about giving me hugs and kisses and holding my hand and, you know, that kind of stuff when we're together, you know, but I've, I've tried to consciously let him know when I'm feeling something, like when something's bothering me or like he does something that I'm like, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. kind of annoying or whatever the case might be i've tried to to do that because you know obviously a marriage takes two yeah and there must have been something that i was not giving him that he went out and found elsewhere but he didn't express it to me so if i wasn't i didn't know it right you know so he in on all honesty didn't give that marriage a chance because he kind of i guess in a way gave up yeah and he wasn't fair to me because he didn't tell me what it was that he didn't get right. or that he wanted that I wasn't providing for him. Right. There's, there's, and, and it's tricky because there are, for each one interaction, there are like two different sets of skills that need to happen. Right. The person who's 
feeling like their needs aren't met. So in, in the marriage, maybe it was your ex-husband. Um, sometimes, you know, you're talking about in your relationship now, sometimes it's you. You need to have the skill set where you can say, hey, you know, you have to be able to identify what it is that's unmet and express it in a way that hopefully isn't attacking or blaming or, but mm-hmm. it's just saying, hey, this is going unmet for me. And, and as my partner, I'm coming to you because I, I want my need met, but I want it met specifically by you because yes. it's important to me. And then the second skill set, right, is that the person receiving that has to have the skill set to hear it in a way that they don't take it personally as an attack. Yeah. Instead, take it personally as kind of as a compliment, like as like, hey, you matter enough to me that I want to I want to give you the cheat sheet. I want to tell you what I need so that you can do it for me and, and that yeah. we can connect, you know. And so um, a lot of us, if we weren't raised in sort of emotionally intelligent households, yeah. Which, again, that, like that doesn't have to be super touchy feely. It's just emotionally intelligent, right? Aware with a vocabulary mm-hmm. and the ability to recognize, you know, intangible needs like needs for a sense of belonging and needs for feeling important. Yeah. Um, if we weren't raised with that, we have to de- figure out how to develop those skill sets on our own. Well, it thankfully, um, James, that's the man that I'm with, He's, um, he's actually completely different <laughs> than anyone else I've ever been with. Totally different than ex-husbands. And he actually is, he's very good about talking about his own feelings. You know, he doesn't always understand them, but he's good at, you know, expressing them. And I mean, he's got his moments. He's not perfect, oh, you know, but like I said, he's had his own trauma that, um, you know, if he one day wants to, you know, because I told him about you and, yeah. you know, told him what this was about. And, you know, if he wanted to bring that up and, and discuss it, and you know, I told him it might be therapeutic for you right. to go through what you've been through. He He's very good about um, telling me himself yeah. how he's feeling about things. And, you know, we try to really sit down and talk about things because we know we both have been through some bullshit. Yeah. And, yeah. you know the only way that we're going to make it work is to talk about it and, you know, be there, support each other. Mm-hmm. And that I'm, I'm thankful for that now that, you know, I finally <laughs> at 41 finally found someone that really seems like he genuinely cares about my well-being, mentally, physically, everything. Right. Right. It's yeah. And, and maybe that's a product, right. Of, <clears throat> having learned things each step along the way and then Mm -hmm. different sort of boundaries for yourself of what you will and won't accept. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, now if you were, excuse me, if you were hypothetically to meet your first or your second husband today, they wouldn't even have a chance because you, the boundaries are different. They'd bump into boundaries. Right. So, so James may be a product of, you know, You know, I, I tell my my partner now um, frequently that, you know, there's on the one hand, you know, you're 41, I'm 48. <laughs> and so, um, you know, creeping up on the half century mark. And, uh, <laughs> you're getting old. Oh, I am. I am. I wish I knew the secret for getting young, but 
I am getting old. So I, I, every once in a while, I have a sense of like, man, I wish I met you sooner and had more time with you. Mm -hmm. But that's immediately replaced by, it's a good thing I didn't meet you sooner because I'd have fucked it up. Yeah. I mean, I probably would have too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, there's things that, you know, he does that Mm -hmm. annoy the shit out of me that I probably would have been like, yeah, I'm not going to deal with this. Like, I'm not even going to deal with it. Or I would have let it just stew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and now I I have no problem telling him, you do this one thing and it just annoys the living shit out of me. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it just, but it is what it is. You know, you got to take the good with the bad. You take the flaws. You either love someone for all their flaws, but you also love them for their good attributes. Yeah. And you take the good with the bad. You know, his good outweighs his bad. He's a good man. He's got good intentions. He's got a good heart. You know, and he's he's definitely, um, he's doing his part in helping me heal. You know, and I'm trying to do that for him, to help him. Because, you know, he's been through some shit himself. So, you know, we help each other. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that that's also part of it, too, even with my girlfriends. You know, my friend Nikki, she's been through some stuff herself with her family, and we le- we lean on each other a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's it's having those people that actually understand, yeah, that can help you. At the same time, you have to want to help yourself. Yeah, I I have a friend, and people people listening to this podcast are going to get tired of hearing about him because I mention him a lot. But um, but I, I, he's sort of a mentor for me in this whole process of building a business um and he's a buddy of mine through jujitsu but um turns out we have quite a few things in common his name is noble noble gibbons and he has a podcast and a, and a business called the eq gangster so he's the yeah, intelligence guy yeah <clears throat> and but one of the things he says at the end of every one of his episodes which sounds a lot like what you're talking about now is he says emotionally healthy people help other people heal emotionally mm-hmm. and you know that sounds like what you're describing in your relationship so i'm glad i'm glad that you found that and have that for yourself yeah i am too because you know it's it it, it was uh it was really hard when my second ex-husband did what he did to me yeah it was really hard for a little while and then it's just it's been a rough road but I'm, I'm a strong woman. I know I am emotionally. I know I am because I've been through a lot, Yeah. but I was also raised to be that way. Right. You know, my parents didn't raise me to be a quiet, timid, which anybody who knows me personally knows I'm not timid. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they didn't raise me to be that way. And my first ex-husband made me almost that way because I was afraid to talk because I didn't know what was going to be said I didn't know how he's going to react and you know to this day now I'm much more to the point where I'm like no I'm not going to be shy about it if you don't like what I have to say keep scrolling don't listen to me then you know I am who I am and either love me or hate me yeah yeah I mean I try to I try to teach my kids right like a healthy relationship means that you should always be able to say how you feel. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, you know, you can disagree on all sorts of things with people, but you should always be able to say how you feel 
and that should always be accepted by the other person. Yep. Even if they don't understand. Right. And that was something that, you know, both of my ex-husbands didn't understand is they, they didn't, they thought my feelings were just me just being a woman. Right. You know, quote unquote, you're just being a woman, you're emotional. Right. Well, and you know, there's, there's research that demonstrates that men are every bit as emotional as women are, except that women are taught that it's okay to demonstrate those emotions. And men are not. Men are taught it's not okay, right? Yep. And so what ends up happening is virtually anything that, you know, and and by the way, this is, let me be clear, this is not all men. This is not every man. Some men are raised by, you know, really sort of emotionally intelligent parents and they're raised to have a good sense of themselves. But socially, generally speaking, in in our society, men are raised such that, you know, anything, so you're allowed to be okay, right? Not great, mm-hmm. but okay. And anything else you feel from hunger to shame to grief, if it's, if it's anything other than okay, then it's to be expressed as anger. Yeah. And so we have a population, unfortunately, of men who are really angry or seem really angry and are probably aggressive and violent. And and if you could just sort of like move the anger aside a little bit and kind of look around it, you would see things like grief or sadness or or, you know, and and there'd be opportunities for for those men to heal. Yeah. To be less angry, you know, And, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, to be clear, I'm not talking about like walking around through the world emoting everywhere you go, right? There's yeah. certain, certain places where it's not appropriate. I totally, as I'm a psychologist and I'll be the first one to say like, you, you shouldn't, probably shouldn't break down crying in the boardroom, right? Like you, you probably should be able to manage it when you're like on stage delivering a presentation. But there's a time and a place when you could be sitting in a therapist's office or having coffee with a loved one. And if you could have the courage and the strength to be a little more vulnerable, and if you don't think that that requires courage and strength, I dare you to try it. Yep. And with that little bit of vulnerability and somebody else could demonstrate some, some caring and you wouldn't be necessarily rejected for that, then healing can begin. And things could be very different. So, so, you know, it sounds like the men, some of the men you've had in your life, uh, I don't know them and I don't want to pretend like, oh, I can say this is, but that sounds like a familiar, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, familiar dynamic to me where they blame it on gender roles, but gender roles are invented, you know? I mean, you could act more masculine if you wanted to, and men could act more feminine. It's not biological right what's biological is like the ability you know things dealing with pregnancy are essentially are yeah. biological. most of the rest of it is social yeah i i mean i know my first ex-husband his dad was very <laughs> um chauvinistic mm-hmm. and was very in the mindset that the man made the money the man made the decisions and that's how he raised his son and you know if he didn't do things right you know he would chastise him. his father was just an evil man yeah. It's just not a good person. 
yeah. you know, and my, my second ex-husband, you know, he was raised with old school biker dad from the seventies that really wasn't part of his life until he was in like 17 years old. And then he joined the Marine Corps and he was a tough, badass Marine, Right. Yeah. you know, he couldn't, he couldn't let those emotions out. Yeah. You know, I mean, he told me multiple times that he said, I can't love you the way you deserve to be loved. I don't have that capacity to do that. And you're a good woman. You know, you deserve to be loved better than how I am, how I am. And I'm like, that's my choice, not yours. Right. And it's, like, and it's you know, a, I choose to see if you're loving me the way I want to be loved. And it, and it also sort of like reveals what I would consider kind of a sad perspective on who he is and his abilities, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yep. Unfortunate, right? So, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, these things are really, really tough and we all come with our baggage, right? We all yep. carry what we carry with us and then we interact and things can get messy, you know, mm -hmm. get messy. It's funny when you say that, when you talk about <clears throat> your first husband and his relationship with his dad, to, to go back to Nobles, you know, the EQ gangster, go back to his saying, right? He says, that emotionally healthy people help other people heal emotionally. And I think the opposite of that, right? Like the antithesis of that is probably the old saying, hurt people, hurt people. Yep. It sounds that, like what you're describing with him and his dad. Yeah, I agree. And, and unfortunately, you know, I hope he, I, I told his siblings, your brother has an issue. Your brother needs help. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't until a couple years later, one of his sisters reached out to me and was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't listen to you. Yeah. I should have. I understand what you were saying now. Turns out he's physically abusing his third wife. Wow. So he never got the help he needed. He didn't have anyone, you know, had his family possibly listen to me when I said, your brother has anger issues. Right. He needs help. Yeah. you know, and they had seen it, maybe this wouldn't be happening. Yeah. yeah. You know, thankfully I got out of that situation. Yeah. Thankfully, indeed. Thankfully, yeah. indeed. And I'm, I'm so glad that things are going better for you now and that you've, you know, created a life for yourself that feels happy and meaningful and fulfilling. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's good to hear. And, and, and I love, I feel, you know, really inspired by the fact that even with that, you continue to work on yourself and continue to grow and build. And um, I value and appreciate that you're an active member in our online community on the Facebook group. And so, so that's great. And, and, and that ha actually helps me because that it makes me think sometimes mm -hmm. about my life and, you know, some things. So it, I, I like that. And that's, you know, I want to be the best version of me. Right. For me. Yeah. You know, not just you know, not for James, not for my mom, not for my dad, not for anybody, but for myself. Right. I just want to be happy for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it ends up benefiting all those people, you know? Yeah. But if you do it for them and there's not a sense, I mean, I, it's, it's fine to want to sometimes sacrifice for people you love to make a sacrifice here and there. Mm -hmm. But if you're not working on yourself with a sense of self-importance and self-compassion, it's almost destined to fall short, you know? Yeah. And so. I mean, you really got to love yourself in order to be able to love someone else. Right. And, and, and I, I will say there are people who 
who make a, who disagree with that and say that you can heal through a loving relationship. And, and I would say that, that that's true too. And, and maybe, maybe it's possible, like if you don't fully get to the point of loving yourself in the beginning, at least having some sense that you are worthy of it, right? And deserving yes. some sense of, of validation and self-compassion for that um, yeah. is, is probably, you know, at least a minimum requirement, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can agree with that one. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm want to be respectful of our time and, and I want to express how grateful I am for you being willing to come on and really courageously share your life and what you've been through. And, and I have no doubt that you doing this is going to help other people. Um, so I, I appreciate that a great deal. I wanted to see if before we wrap up, if there are any sort of, you know, you know, things you wanted to make sure you said, or anything you want to get in before we wrap up that you feel like might be important, closing ideas, closing words. Um, you know, I did this for me, but I also did it if my situation and what I've been through and the story I told can help someone else, even one person, Yeah. then, you know, that's, that makes it all worth it. I've had other women that tell me about their relationships and, you know, I have one, a friend of mine right now that she's in a verbally abusive relationship and I'm trying to kind of coach her to prepare to leave because she's, she's miserable. She's... Yeah. You know, whatever I can do to help somebody else that's been in that, whatever I can do, I'll do it. It's, it's unfortunate people have to go through that kind of stuff, but you know, if someone else can help them, then yeah. I'll do my part, you know, and, and, and supporting you as a friend, like, you know, yeah. you're doing this podcast and I want to support you as well. So, yeah. And I appreciate that. It means a lot. And, and so uh, some of the people that I end up talking to on here, you know, work in a helping agency, they're therapists or, or, um, you know, doctors of some sort or social workers. And they certainly end up leaving, you know, their website or their social media contacts. And I, I know that you don't work in a field like this. So if somebody has a, you know, wants to reach out to you based on this podcast, would it make the most sense for them to go through me? And then um, I can reach out to you. After. That's fine. I mean, you okay. can give them my information too. I'm, I'm open to it. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. I just, um, I just know like, you know, um, you said you work at a bank, right? So you probably don't want people emailing you at work or calling you at work. Well, I mean, you can, you can put my personal email. Okay. Like well, the one that you have. You can go, go ahead. If you want to give it out, you can. Uh, it's just it. Anderson wj80 at gmail.com so a-n-d-e-r-s-o-n w-j-80 okay at gmail. So, so if you have um comments or questions or want to reach out to wendy uh for some reason that's a way to reach her and uh, wendy i wanted to thank you again for your time on a sunday afternoon i really appreciate it and i want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening on whatever platform you listen on or watching on youtube um i appreciate that you can always reach out to me and find me. The um, website is Growth and Thriving, all spelled out. So growthandthriving.com. On Facebook, it's Growth and Thriving with an ambersand, not spelled out. Growth and Thriving LLC. Uh, the Facebook groups are Growth and Thriving After Trauma. 
and um, Thriving Fathers, Parenting After Trauma. So please link up with us. You can also find Growth and Thriving on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, I'm still figuring out Twitter. It's, I find Twitter <laughs> very weird. I don't use it very much. I check it, but I don't tweet much. So uh, anyhow, thank you, everyone. And keep your eyes open. Coming very soon will be our first um, online course, which will be the ABCs of PTG. It'll be a 10-session program talking about uh, some of the various skills and abilities and techniques that are used to help people achieve thriving after trauma. Uh, and it will be jam-packed with great information. So um, this is uh, Dr. Jerry Sunshine Novak and just signing off saying thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.